Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's jump into Daniel. If you'll open up to Daniel 1. Uh, this is really going to be a wonderful series that, uh, that we begin today. But in Daniel 1 it says, In the third year of the reign of Jeho- uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasures into the house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude in every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to, was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them daily amounts of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that were to enter uh, into the king's service. Among those were some from Judah. There was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, um, Meshach, and uh, Azariah, Abandigo or as we like to say in Texas, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abandigo. Uh, we just leave out the inn and all that in Abandigo, so we just say it like that. But it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked uh, the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. For the next couple of months, we're going to really just dive in and immerse ourselves into the story, which begins literally in the summer of 605 B.C., it's a story of a conflict of, of you know, Babylon and Judah. Uh, the conflict is, is between this very powerful king of the world and really four teenage boys. And later on, the story takes a huge, uh, well, you know, almost world magnitude turn as, as Daniel gets into past, present, and future on us. You know, almost beyond three dimensions into this whole other dimension of stuff that sometimes we understand and sometimes it just confuses the heck out of us. And, and, you know, we're, you know, we're just really going to have a blast through this book because we're going to get a feeling for uh, three different areas here. We're going to get a feeling for the book of Daniel. We're going to get a feeling for the book of Ezekiel and also the book of Revelation. I, I truly believe we're living in the end times. Now, my times of the end times and God's time, God's, you know, is it, you know, in the next 10 years? I have no idea. I just know that the, the signs are showing us we're getting closer to that time. We're living in a, you know, the end times where God's calling people of all ages to an uncompromised faith. Shallow faith is not going to cut it in this world. Truth is more important than ever. Truth is truth. Evil is evil. Good is good. And it's becoming more and more clear, not only to the church, but also to those outside the church. And the world is looking for, for people to be called, you know, like, who dare to be Daniels. Dare to be Daniels in this world and, and taking the same, you know, the very same risk 
It's going to be very exciting. You have a powerful king trying to really re-educate some equally powerful teenagers. Now, each Sunday that we study, the Holy Spirit is going to really unlock application for us. Uh, You know, this happened over 2,600 years ago, and we'll still find personal and practical application to our lives today from something that was written 2,600 years ago in the Middle East, in a place that that we, we still don't understand today. And we see events happening today, even near Babylon. Uh, you, as we get into this and some of the history and some of the, some of the, even the archaeological, uh, you know, evidence and, and stuff that's going on over there. Yeah, Saddam Hussein, before, uh, before all that happened with him, um, he was literally rebuilding the old ruins of Babylon, trying to, to bring back that glory, uh, you know, that time of, uh, which was really the time of Daniel here. Now, our part is not only going to be just a study on the weekend. And, and you know, we're, going to, we're getting to a better time of the year. We'll start to enjoy the weekends and won't be so hot. And I want you to, to, to encourage you to take your time. It's good to take a vacation on our weekend, but I also want to encourage you, if you miss a week, come back and get the, get the CD. You know, talk to other people about it. Find out what we're studying because this book is just going to take us on a whirlwind ride. If you miss a couple of weeks, you're really going to be kind of, you might even be lost. So I want to encourage you to go back and read some of that. It's going to be a powerful series if we not only listen to it, but we apply it to our lives. Well, I thought uh, we'd get a quick refresher over the entire Old Testament this morning before we kind of jumped into the book of Daniel. And, and I was talking with somebody earlier, and they just kind of looked at me and laughed like, yeah, right. Like you can give an entire overview in, in you know, 30 minutes or so. But I, you know, I think it's really important. Moses tells or Moses, who writes Genesis, tells us in 128 that God created man. And he blessed them, commanding them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth to, and subdue it. So in Genesis 1, God creates man. And then he tells man, go out and, and, and multiply, subdue the earth, take care of the earth. God gave many commands, and this is among the first. And this was a command. So accurate human history begins not with apes, does not begin with apes. Even if you're kind of a long earth view versus short earth view, and you know, we can get into specifics and, and technicalities on that, but, but you can't go with God created apes and then he created man. You just can't. God created man. That is a truth. To fulfill the earth, uh, to fill the earth and sub- subdue it. And you know, we're highly qualified to procreate and to manage this planet. God calls us to manage the planet. And as human beings, we're called to look at our surroundings and figure out how to live within our resources. And I believe that, uh, you know, in some instances, God would say, you're doing a good job at that. In other instances, he would say, we've done a very poor job at that. You know, some environmentalists would would say that we've always done a terrible job in that. And I I don't, you know, I don't espouse that. I don't go to that. Uh, They would be wrong on that. But there are some definite things that we could do to, to, to help. But we shouldn't go to the extreme. You know, we have to learn how to manage the things that God gives us and subdue it. You know, he calls us to do that. Now, in Genesis 11, we see that, you know, you know I'm going really fast here. 11 chapters in like three and a half minutes. So, In Genesis uh, 11 here, the earth has one language. All the people, they're all communicating. They're all getting along. 
And man is centered in the Middle East, and it's a huge kind of plain area. Kind of, it's a place called Shinar, Shinar. And basically the center of human culture. And Moses tells him in Genesis 11.4, or it tells us that they were talking in 11.4, that man was, was to, uh, you know, said, let us build a city, you know, or, or build ourselves a city with a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let's make a name for ourselves, Let us, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, what was God's command back in Genesis 1.28? He said, go forth and multiply and fill the earth. And here man is sitting there going, hey, let's stay right here. I like it here. Now, is that following God's command? Absolutely not. So we see the basis of, of man just from the very beginning. And, the, you know, God always frustrates me about this. When, when people, he, you know, he's, he's disciplining other people. And he's really slow in doing that. And here, you, you, know, you know what God's going to do? He's going to step in. But God is incredibly more patient than we are. He waits and waits. He's waited 11 chapters before he stepped in and said, guys, you haven't dispersed. You haven't, you know, he's waited for many, multiple people to be born. He's waited for a lot of stuff to happen before he says, guys, what are you doing? He's incredibly patient. And eventually he is going to do something. Because these people in Shinar are not obeying his command. They're making a names for themselves, not God. They're clustering in one place, not filling the earth. Well, in Genesis 11:5, Moses shows us that the Lord responds. It says the Lord saw what was going on with the tower, and he said, basically, this is not going to work. Not going to work for them, to, and not going to work for us. And the us that he's referring to is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, all three of them. They were there from the beginning. So in verse 7, he says, let's confuse their words. So we see God working His will uh, anyway. He's just incredibly patient in doing so. Now what, is, you know, what does this have to do with the book of Daniel? I know that's what some of you are thinking. Well, in Genesis 11.9, Moses tells us the place that they were wanting to build a name for themselves was a place called Babel. And the tower was called Babel. We, we've learned that, you know, the Tower of Babel. Well, this is where we get the English word for confusion or babbling. And the root of this city, you know, the root of this city goes on to become what? Babylon. Babylon is born in the midst of vocal confusion caused by God. So now Daniel's stories, you know, it's a very long time after the beginning of, of Babylon, but it includes people's, you know, God's people being take, taken back to Babylon. And this would be a good question for us to ask. Why would God allow his people to be attacked? And why would God allow his people to be taken back to Babylon? That's an excellent question. What is going on here between the, you know, Genesis and, and Babylon? And the greater question would be, why is this one city mentioned in Genesis and Daniel? And what else, and what other book? Revelation. You see, it's all interconnected. You know, why is the beginning of the Bible and the middle of the Bible and end of the Bible? Why does this show up? Well, some people say, well, that's a coincidence. No, there's nothing major that happens in the Bible. There's nothing major happens with God that's just a coincidence. God is, you know, he has his hand in everything. It's hard for me to grasp sometimes. You know, God is a part of everything. And, you know, sometimes I sit with that and I'm kind of like, okay, I get that. And then sometimes I sit with that and I'm just like confused and I'm just going circles in my mind. 
Another question would be, is Babylon mentioned in any other book? That would be your homework for the week. Find out where it's, where it's found. In a couple of places we'll talk about as we go through this book. But, but I also want to go on to Genesis 11.31. It says, Terah, or Terah, took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, his, his, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out to Ur of the Chaldeans to go, to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now the Chaldeans would have been Babylonians. It's just a, a different word there, okay? And then in Genesis 12, 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So at age 75, Abram packs up his whole family, and he takes off to the land of Canaan. Now, Abram would have gone through this uh, this particular gate from that time. It's the gate into the land of Canaan. Uh, anytime you go to a big city, you would also go, this is where all the stuff is happening. We've talked about this before. This is where all the town's business. This is like town hall here. This, this is the court system. Everything happened in those gates. And they're uncovering this gate from uh, in Israel right now as they're, they're you know excavating it and going through it. And this is that gate that he would have been going through. Now, do you know what Abraham's favorite scripture, were, uh, you know, favorite scriptures were? You don't know what his life verse was? Well, he didn't have one. The Bible hadn't been written yet. A little trick question there. I thought it was funny, but apparently it's not. But when Abraham, uh, Abraham hits age 100, Isaac was born. Isaac grows up and marries Rebekah and has Jacob. Jacob's name is uh, turned to Israel. Now we're going a little quicker here. Israel has 12 sons who sell their brother Joseph into slavery in Egypt. Now we're already into the book of Exodus. Where all the children of Israel end up in Egypt for 400 years because of their sin. And Moses comes along and leads a nation of slaves into the wilderness of freedom. Where God gives them the law at Sinai. And he leads them to the promised land. And they get, a, they get a glimpse of the promised land. They get afraid. So God says, you're afraid. I'm not going to take you into the promised land until this generation dies off because you're, you're not willing to have faith enough. So for 40 years, this faithless generation goes out into the desert. And as the fathers die off, the sons ride up to, uh, rise up to lead. And then God leads them into the promised land. But Moses, before that, Moses stands you know, in Jordan on Mount Nebo and looks into the promised land. And God told Moses that he would not go into the promised land. So Moses, he takes him up on top of the mountain, shows him the promised land. Moses dies and God buries him. Where is that grave? We don't know. God buried him. He didn't tell us. Lest the Israelites want to go back over and worship the grave of Moses. Because that's what people do. So Joshua leads him into the promised land, and now we're already into the book of jo uh, Joshua. I don't know how many, was it 25 weeks in the book of Exodus? Uh, yeah, something like that. And they occupy the land, sort of. In many instances, they choose to cohabitate with the very people that God tells them to drive out of the land, which created so many problems for them and still creates problems for us this day in the Middle East. The Israelites live in Canaan in the, in the 12 tribal areas and they're ruled by judges. The final judge was Samuel. And as we studied the book of 1 Samuel, it's a wonderful series. I, I love teaching that book. 
They demanded a king, and the first king was Saul. Then they had David and Solomon and Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the worst of these four kings. Uh, He is Solomon's son who literally in the first weeks of, of his reign, in the first weeks of being in control, splits the kingdom completely. You have two tribes against ten tribes, and they never come back together. He was a terrible king. The northern kingdom is, you know, is known as Israel. Never, ever had godly leadership. Every king takes, uh, takes them down the wrong path. To the point where in 722 BC, God allows Assyrians to sweep down and take these tribes away. And God uses them to punish the 12 northern tribes. He literally, you know, the Assyrians literally come in, take them captive, haul them off, switch people, move people all over, you know, their whole kingdom. They would take people from this area, put them in that area, and mix up all the cultures. Going back to the confusing of languages, if you can't talk together, you can't rise up and defeat whoever's rolling over you. So that's what they would do. And these are actually called the ten lost tribes of Israel, if you ever hear that term. Now, the southern kingdom is also known as the kingdom of Judah. They have a few good kings, but they also have a few bad kings. Go all the way, you know, who will go down the path of idolatry. With one great exception, a godly king named Josiah, which starts out at the age of eight being king. And he takes the reins as a boy and leads Israel in a revival. And it's a very positive thing. And then he goes off to the war. It goes off toward at Har Megiddo, is what we would call Armageddon. Here's a picture of that valley. Armageddon or Har Megiddo. The Egyptian king Necho comes down, defeats him, and, and Necho or Necho puts Josiah's son in as a prophet king over Judah named Jehoiakim. Now it brings us to the book of Daniel. And jo- Jehoiakim does not follow his father's way. See, the entire New Testament, the, the entire Hebrew history, right there in what, 15 minutes? Let's get into the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. And this is where we slow down. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This is one of several times, several raids that Nebuchadnezzar comes to Judah and and just takes the people. He just can't get enough. He keeps coming back. And the first one starts in, in, in 605 B.C. And it will go on for years for them. And he will just keep coming back. Now, Daniel tells us that this did not happen because Nebuchadnezzar was so powerful. In verse 2, he says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So, despite appearances, God is still in control of the story. Nebuchadnezzar comes to, to Israel in a series of raids because the Lord allowed him to. He led him to. Now, when I sit and think about this, it confuses me. But it also makes me a little, it makes me shudder a little bit. I start to realize that, that God not only delivers us from evil when he calls out our name, but when we go against God, eventually he might even deliver us to evil. And that just blows my mind. Sometimes I'm like, All right, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. And sometimes I'm like, what are you doing, God? Why would you ever do that? It's usually because we haven't been crying out to him. It's usually because we, we've relied on ourselves. And this is not those shallow, friendly little texts. This is not your feel-good texts. You know the ones I'm talking about. You know the ones that when people come and say, oh, just put a smile on your face. Come on, just, just smile. It'll all be better. And you're sitting there going, no, you don't understand. I'm not smiling right now. This is, this is one of those texts. This is shocking 
And, you know, our Father has been known throughout history to deliver His people to evil. The disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And one of the phrasers is, deliver us from evil. Because Jesus knows the Father. We need to be constantly praying this. Because if we're not, you know, God tried to warn them over and over and over. This didn't just happen on a Friday because Monday God got upset at something. It didn't just happen like quickly over a weekend. Over hundreds of years, he said to Judah, stop disobeying. Stop worshiping idols. Stop sinning. Judah, you know, even had the privilege of watching the northern cousins literally be taken off in 722 B.C. We're now 118 years later in 605 B.C. How many years of warning will they need? But Judah still did not listen. God has tried everything. God has said, guys, I am the only God. Listen to me. In fact, you could you know, pass a course in, a, in minor and major prophets just by learning this. Every one of them, we're talking Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah. They all said the very same thing. Hundreds of years apart, many times they had no idea who the other person was, and they're saying the same thing. I am the only God. I'm a father who loves his children, a shepherd who loves his sheep, or a bridegroom who loves his bride. Those are all metaphors. I'm a wealthy you know, landover, uh, landowner who loves his children and have built walls to protect them. said, I'm a God who will provide for you. I will even give you things, vineyards you did not plant. I will give you cattle that you did not raise. I will give you homes that you did not build. Why? Because I am God, because I am your Father. I'm going to take care of you. I love my bride. But here's the deal. When my bride is adulterous, it makes me angry and jealous. Now today, we say, oh man, that that, that Old Testament God, I mean, he's... He's harsh, isn't he? Really, really harsh. Because if my bride was was adulterous, you know, that wouldn't bother me at all. When my sheep stray off over to the cliff, I don't lose any sleep. When wolves come into my vineyard, I'll just let them eat whatever. I don't care. I'm not like that Old Testament God. I'm much nicer than the Old Testament. I don't have wrath. But see, Daniel's going to teach us something, you know, before it teaches us anything else, that something is that God, God says, that is enough. I've had it with you. And this is not me talking, this is God. God sometimes says, I've had it for you. See, our God says, you know, our, our God will wait five years. He'll wait 10 years, hundreds of years, even thousands of years before he does stuff that's like the, in this book. And one thing I've learned, it is not just an Old Testament teaching. Because our God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Because I've read in the Bible, God never changes. Just because a person thinks they're getting away with it, just because a family thinks they're getting away with it, just because you know a city thinks, or a school, or a company, or a group thinks that they're getting away with it, just because a nation thinks they're getting away with it, they are not. And when you study this week about who Babylon was, the city of Babylon, the people of, of Babylonia, you're going to shudder. Because on one hand, we're going to talk about 
being carried off to Babylon. And then in one chapter, we're going to start to realize we are Babylon. We are. We live in Babylon. God says to the prophet Amos, I am a provider. God says to the prophet Hosea, I am a lover. I'm an unconditional lover. God says to the prophet uh, you know, Jeremiah, I am going to judge you. And even while I am judging you, I have a plan for you, and it's not to harm you. Can you imagine being these prophets, thinking, which style of God am I going to see today? And God says, the same God, because I am the same. And the prophets go back to God and go, but God, I, I can't say that to a king. They'll kill me. Do you remember what Jesus says the last week of, you know, before he was crucified on the cross? He said, you have killed all of us prophets. Most of the Old Testament is about two things. One is, and this surprises me, the more I read the Old Testament, it's about business. It talks about how we conduct our business in life, how we treat each other, how we don't cheat each other. You know, if I say I'm going to buy this, I buy it. If I say that this is a contract, I honor the contract. I don't, you know, they use the deal of scales. I don't kind of weigh the scales to my benefit. I don't do things to my benefit. You know, God says, honor each other. Don't rip each other off. I'm amazed at how much advice there is on business there. But secondly, it is also about recognizing and serving only one God. He says, I want you to serve me only. Well, that doesn't sound very hard, does it? I want you to worship me only. I don't want 70% of your worship and 30% goes to the Canaanite gods. I want 100% of your worship. And that'll be another homework assignment sometime. You know, what are the Canaanite gods? And ask yourself, what is the modern application to those Canaanite gods? He's saying, I don't want you to go after these Canaanite gods. I don't want you to marry someone who worships these Canaanite gods. I would rather you be lonely than go and do that. That's what our God says. Because he says he'll fulfill that loneliness. So finally, after all these years of compromising, he says, all right, if you like those gods so much, I'm going to take you to a place that has ten times amount of those gods. That's what he does for Babylon. Because you think Canaanites had a lot of gods. Babylon has ten times as many. I'm going to take you to a place that will blow your mind. God says, if you like Canaan so much, you're going to love Babylon. And I'm going to take you there and leave you there for an entire generation. Unfortunately, there are four teenage boys who don't deserve to be there. They're there because their parents sin. It's interesting how our young ones reap the consequences sometimes of our mistakes. And it just, you know, it just kills us. Uh, there are some things that, that uh, my dad would say, Alan, don't you parent like I did in this way. He doesn't want that part of his parenting. Not the totality of his parenting, because I had wonderful parents. But one little sliver of parenting, he's saying, Alan, don't parent that way as you have a little boy. He doesn't want that handed down. He doesn't want my boy to pay for the sins of the, of the other generations. In Romans, Paul tells us what? The wages of sin 
is death. And it really is a warning. So like one of those warnings, don't walk out onto the street, you're going to get hit by a car. It's a clear warning. It's a warning that sin has consequences. So what are we going to be hit with in the book of Daniel? We're going to be taken to Babylon. And it doesn't matter if we're Daniel and his three buddies or nameless you know, people who deserve to be there. We're still there. But what are we going to do once we get there? You know, some of us can read the Bible and learn very quickly. Oh, that's what it says? Okay. I won't do that anymore. The Bible says live this way? Okay, I will do that. Uh, Start to do that now. It's very clear. I read, I learn. Some of us are like that. Others of us, we look at other people and go, Oh, wow. Ooh, I don't want to do that. We learn from watching other people. Some of us, you know, this group says, I, I know the Bible says, and I know that person over there disobeyed it, and I see the consequences. However, that won't happen to me. It won't happen to me. Because somehow I am different. And in fact, I'm going to the, you know, to the extent that I'm just going to be dabbling in it. You know, I'm just a dabbler babbler. Just dabble in Babylon. I'm not going to live in Babylon. I'm just vacationing there. I am mature enough to handle it. And besides that, I did it three times already, and I haven't seen any consequences. So, you know, I must be a New Testament Christian because grace is covering me. See, the Canaanite gods are fun. The Babylonian gods are fun. And I'm not suffering from it. You know what the Bible says? God will warn us and warn us. God will warn us and warn us and warn us. And then He will warn us and warn us and warn us. And then you know what He'll do? He will warn us again. And even people watching our lives will say, How's he getting away with that stuff? And we're like foolish virgins who are caught unaware without any oil in our lamp. And if you, it's a New Testament story that Jesus tells. So what are we going to be doing through this study in Daniel? We're going to be asking ourselves, who am I in the story? And we're going to be praising God that he will be taking us to Babylon. Each week we'll be, you know, be listening to this and we realize that the, you know, the reason why my life may be so screwed up is that in fact I am in Babylon and God has brought me to that place. And here's the beauty of it. The very purpose of Babylon was not so these people you know, would be rejected by God. The very purpose of Babylon was, was to give them a taste of that rejection so that they would fall on their face before God and worship Him and, and repent So they would say, I want to go back to the promised land. And when they get back, you will see that I mean it this time. You will see that, that, you know, not by my words, not by my tears, but literally by my actions, that I'm sick of the Canaanite gods. I'm sick of evil people, sick of sin that has affected me and my family. And I'm going to do now what I should have done when Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to worship the Lord. And this time I'm going to mean it. We will serve the Lord. Now, the amazing thing is, I haven't even got to the most beautiful part yet. Even as God sends us to Babylon, He already has a plan of redemption for us. 
He's already working on bringing us back into his promised land. From the minute that he sends them there, he tells them, I am going to bring you back. This is what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was bringing us back. The Lord was making a way for us when there was no way. I don't want you walking out of here feeling like, man, I I really feel guilty about my sin. Don't say, oh man, I'm just going to try harder. You know, Pastor Allen really made me feel guilty today. Because I I got a question for you. How's the trying harder thing working out for you? Yeah. For me, it works for good, you know, one, one meal cycle as I diet. Or one sleep cycle. And then I just go back to being Allen. See, Jesus came so he could break that try harder cycle. And so that we could say, but by the blood of Christ, I am saved. By the cross of Christ, I am saved. By his stripes, I am healed. By his wounds that were caused by my transgressions. See, this week you will be presented with the Holy Spirit going, Hey, there's a Canaanite God in your life. Hey, you're in Babylon. Here's something that's not of me. This is of that world. And you know what? We're going to need the Holy Spirit to help us fight that. Fight those Canaanite gods through you instead of just you know you trying to resist them. See, we're powerless before sin until we have the Holy Spirit. And then with the Holy Spirit's help in our life, all of a sudden we get this power amongst us, a power within us, that we can fight those things. And He leads us out of captivity. And He allows us back into the promised land. All we have to do is recognize that and then follow Him. Follow the Holy Spirit's leanings in your life. And the hard process is figuring out, okay, what's a tummy ache and what's the Holy Spirit? What is it when God's trying to lead me and when I'm sitting there going, I got this feeling in the pit of my stomach versus, man, I I ate the bad Mexican food last night. That's a hard thing to learn. And the more you're around God, the more you get into the Word, the more we rely on Jesus, the more we start to, to understand when the Holy Spirit is pushing us. Well, I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for you guys that feel powerless. You're in the middle of a situation, you're sitting there going, man, I feel like I'm drug off to Babylon. I feel like, man, I don't know how I got here. All I know is the whirlwind happened and my life ended up right here. I don't know. Or maybe it's, man, I I ran off to Babylon. I ran off to a place that I thought was going to be a lot of fun. And I look back and go, wow, why am I here? I want to pray that God will put you on a path of leading you out of Babylon. But He may have you there because you didn't lead yourself there. He may have you there like Daniel's, you know, Daniel and, the, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He may have you there to stand up for Him in a world who says, look at all these other gods. Well, let's pray. Lord, I pray for those that are sitting out there today. Those that are sitting there going, I don't know how I ended up here. I pray that, that you give them a clear picture, that you help them understand. Maybe it was their own actions and you can show them how to not repeat that pattern. Or maybe you can show them that, hey, no, you were brought here because of somebody else and, and let me help you in this situation. Let me help you to stand up for, for what is right, what is truth. 
what is good and what is not evil. I pray, Lord, for those that feel like they've just been drugged through the mud. That you allow them to have power in their life. That you allow the Holy Spirit just to to envelop them, to to show them how to follow your leadings. Show them how how to lean toward you. Show them maybe for the first time or maybe for the 50th time. And I'm so happy, Lord, that you warn us and warn us and warn us. And I pray that you open our eyes to those warnings. That we don't have to be carried off to Babylon. Because your grace and your mercy, you warn us over and over, Lord. And I pray that we see those. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you and give you rest. May He allow you to see those warnings. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.